I realized while I was in the hospital that the pills and the therapy were not what was supposed to fix me. I was supposed to fix me and the pills and the therapy were supposed to help me be able to do it. Hello, and thank you for joining our podcast, Hope to Recharge, a show that is designed to bring hope, inspiration, motivation, and some practical tips to those that are battling depression and anxiety, and to those that are supporting loved ones that are going through the journey in this difficult time of depression and anxiety. I'm here to tell you, you are not alone, and we will live beyond depression and anxiety. We will share our stories one story at a time in a world of mental health together is better. I'm your host, Matana. Thank you for tuning in. Hello and welcome to Hope to Recharge, a place that we are getting together to break the stigma around depression, anxiety, mental health, bringing more awareness, bringing more hope and support to all of us struggling. Together is better with mental health. Today, I have a very interesting guest, Christopher. He is a fellow podcaster, and he has a very interesting podcast also on the topic of mental health. And I reached out to him because I love listening to his podcast. He has a very good podcast voice. He's really authentic. And with mental health, we really look for people that are authentic. The name of his podcast is Coffee Over Suicide which are two very extreme um, words because coffee is something that I love. Suicide is something that I fear when I hear. So to have it in one, in one sentence is so fascinating and interesting. And I'm sure there's a big story behind the name. So welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining me here, Chris. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. So. Coffee over suicide. I love coffee. One of like my listeners know <laughs> that I don't start my day without my coffee. My coffee is my I, I think it's a psychological thing that my coffee is my beginning, my jump start. Oh my God. Yeah. There is something very deliberate about coffee. You know, mm-hmm. you put it together, you you select what it is you're going to drink. Uh you select the mug that you're going to put it in. Every aspect of it is personalized to your own taste. There's there's something about getting it together, getting it in your hands, the warmth of it. It's all because of choices that you made and it makes you happy. And there's nothing better than that. That's such a beautiful way of thinking about it that I, I never thought about it that way, that basically it's so many choices. We, we're so unautomatic with our coffee, even if we're ordering it. We yeah. have in our mind what we want, our, our usuals or our, our what we start our Mondays with or what do we start our Thursdays with, whatever it is. We have the things that are auto, on autopilot, especially mm-hmm. making our coffee, but we don't realize that there's so much thought that's um, subconscious that goes into it, which is so interesting. Yeah. If you're, if you're a coffee lover, you didn't arrive at... Uh, your particular favorite choices by accident. It mm. was through trial and error. And so, you know, to e- even to have an autopilot selection, that autopilot got there somehow. Exactly. The subconscious is telling us what to put into our autopilot. I know that in my morning, 
I usually drink from a disposable cup. I have a thing with cups that I, yeah. I I'm very OCD and I we have hundreds of cups and mugs in my house because my husband's in the printed gadgets giveaway. So I have almost every saying you can imagine on a mug besides the regular mugs <laughs> that came with my dishes when I got married. But we have unlimited amount of mugs and I'm always using a disposable hot cup. And there's a rule in the house that only mommy, only mommy's allowed the disposable <laughs> hot cup. No one else is allowed unless you're traveling. If you're traveling, you're allowed to take, but it's mommy's cups. And it's like a special thing. And it's my it's my cleanliness, but sometimes I need that ceramic mug in my hand. I feel yeah. like I need it. So it's very interesting what you're saying because it really depends on my mood in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how much it, it milk really goes into thing. it? Yep. What cup am I? Is it going to be the clear cup? Is it going to be the white cup? Is it going to be the blue cup? Is it going to be the interesting saying cup? Is it going to be motivation? Is it going to be the big one or the smaller one? Is it going to is it going to be darker? Is it going to be lighter? More milk, less milk? More sugar, less sugar? Like all these things, should I put cream or should I not? So many things go into a cup of coffee. And how many cups of coffees are made a day? You probably know this. Oh yeah, I, I mean it's uh, it's it's in the it's in the millions, just in America. Right. I, I mean, and and we have a very different relationship uh, with coffee in America than they do in say South America or uh, even in like in Turkey. They they have very different. Uh, ways of presenting and uh, delivering the coffee in Ethiopia. Ethiopian coffee is very different. It, it's it's all very very fascinating. I I don't know. It was one of those things that uh, I got I got kind of obsessed with uh, for a while. I used to actually even roast my own coffee, and and that was a whole process mm-hmm. learning how that worked the the chemical reaction of the oils. But <sighs> but that was that was a meditative thing for me. Right. Because meditating is really hard for me. Right. Uh, But I found that if I could pour my focus into something, Mm. uh, that was a good way for me to meditate. Interesting. Interesting. And over something that you love. Did you always like coffee as like even growing up as a teenager? Yeah. The, The weird thing about coffee for me is that, and I didn't know where I got it from, but my, my dad was an alcoholic when I was about five or six. Uh, he went into recovery. When he went into recovery, he quit drinking and he quit smoking at the same time. And like any good recovering alcoholic, mm-hmm. <laughs> he had mugs of black coffee all over the house. Oh. Uh, and I would just pick them up and sip on them mm-hmm. as a little kid. <laughs> wow. And so I had this strange relationship with it where for me... <laughs> It was oh this is this is a dad thing. Wow, that is in, that's very interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. And then it went into a hobby or like a treat. Yeah, when the the commercial coffee market started to explode, let's say um, sometime in the late nineties, and coffee houses were just everywhere, mm-hmm. uh, that became something that was really fascinating to me and. Uh, watching people work espresso machines. And uh, there was a coffee house uh, in, in my hometown where they, they, I, would, I would hang out at the counter and just kind of, you know, vulture over it and right. just watch. How does that work? Right. And I would ask questions and, I, and, you know, I'd get a refill and then I'd go, okay, cool. And I'd walk away. Oh, wow. So it <laughs> was know? really something that fascinated you. It really did because it, I couldn't understand how there could be so many differences Mm. because to me, coffee was just 
coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I realized that there was so much more to it than that, right. it kind of it kind of opened my eyes weirdly it, it, to the idea that the world was a bigger place than the things I could see. Mm, nice, nice yeah. analogy. Nice. We could talk about coffee probably for hours and hours and <laughs> yeah, hours. I'm sure and could. I'm very, I'm very, I'm very tempted to continue, but. I, I need to get into the mental health perspective. And there's yeah. so many, so many things that we can p- compare coffee to mental health. And it's probably part <laughs> of your story. Why you you called your podcast Coffee Over Suicide. So what yeah. what is the story behind your podcast name? Well, let's start yeah, with the, the name. Let's start first. with the name. Well, the, the name of the podcast came from, it came from this idea that every morning I've got a choice. Uh, I could kill myself or I could have a cup of coffee Uh, and I choose coffee. And so it was really honestly kind of that simple. It was like, it it was like, yeah, this is an easy mantra for a very difficult idea. Uh, Let's choose coffee over suicide. Because coffee is something that you enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a, a, it's a, it's a better place. Uh, it's a better place to put my anxiety mm-hmm. <laughs> than uh, to focus on the negatives. Do you suffer from anxiety since you're a little kid? Yeah. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, my story is a, a little different than a lot of the people I talk to, but it's not completely uncommon. I discovered that I had uh, suicidal ideation when I was uh, easily five or six years old. Is that a thing? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it, it's pretty rare, um, but it does happen. I thought it was impossible. Uh, but, I mean, you, you do hear about it more and more now. It's a very, very small sliver of the population that can actually track that back. Wow. Um, it's even less that actually gets diagnosed um, because it's a young age. It's yeah. it, It's very difficult to... It's very difficult to to even think back to that because it's been a while since I've been five or six. So when was your first memory of a suicidal thought? My first memory was it was being at the top of the stairs in my house and coloring, and uh, one of the crayons rolled off of uh, off of the 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 balcony and onto the floor, and it hit the ground with a big clack. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself that if I jumped, I would probably die. And I remember thinking that sounded like a good idea. Were you looking to experiment on death or were you just curious as a deep person? You look like a very deep analytic person. So I'm a five-year-old or how old were you when that happened? Like five or six. Yeah. So a kid that thinks that way is very deep. It's not just a regular yeah. thinker. Like usually, oh, it fell. How am I going to get it? Let's cry till we get it back or will it yeah. break? Will I ever get it back? But it's never, what will happen to me if I jumped and this would happen? What What do you think was going through your mind that even brought that thought up? That's a tough one. You know, it was... I, I, I think that honestly, the the biggest thing about that is is wiring. I'm not really sure how my wiring got the way it was. I don't I don't know how much of it was from birth, mm-hmm. and how much of it was conditioning to my reactions to situations. Right. Um, I can say that our household was a, a little rough, not rough. Um, I don't know, not rough in in 
say, I I guess I should explain that. (laughs) It was rough like this. Um, Like I said, my father was, was, he was a dry drunk for a couple of years even, I think. And it's very different now. Uh, he became a substance abuse counselor. Uh, he's been sober for most of my life. I have wow. very few images in my head of dad being drunk. Wow. You know what I mean? So it was like, because I was little when he, right. when he went into recovery. Wow. And uh, it, it, was just, it was just something that happened. But uh, my parents fought a lot about money because we, we were kind of poor growing up. And I had two sisters and a brother. And while my brother definitely didn't get any flack from my parents, because he figured out a long time ago that if you get good grades, people will leave you alone. Uh, but we didn't get along. And even even as a little kid, we didn't like each other. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was strange. But uh, I, I don't have a lot of fond memories of my siblings. Mm-hmm. It, it was, I, I felt kind of like an outsider in the whole family. Right. And my sister was in and out of juvie. And my other sister was constantly trying to get pregnant. And she was struggling with bulimia. And so it was kind of everybody had their own dysfunctions going yeah. on. Yeah. And and I think that being in a house that had that many dysfunctions, it's not really that surprising that I figured out what mine were pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the the obsessive thought patterns that I had developed uh, were really what kicked that suicidal ideation into place because it wasn't so much that I had any kind of fascination with death. I was terrified of it. Mm. The thing that I had was I had this sense that uh, life was painful and that uh, I was wrong. Something was wrong with me and I was off and it would be better for all of us if I wasn't around. Mm. That's a lot of people that struggle with suicidal thoughts. One of their things are the world will be a better place without me. I'm a burden on the world. No one's going to miss me. The world will be a better place without me. What do you think triggers those thoughts? You know, it's it's really tough. Um, I think it's an individual thing. But the, the common experience in that is the way that we start the way that we start setting ourselves up and the stories that we start to tell ourselves uh, and the language that we use, because you're constantly telling yourself who you are and the words that you use uh, reinforce your beliefs about things. And so if you're constantly telling yourself negatives about yourself, mm-hmm. I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. I don't like myself. I'm a bad person. That's your truth. That's your reality because you, you really cement it in there with super glue mm-hmm. when you start using this language. And a lot of times it's an internal struggle that can't be corrected by outside forces like your parents or your friends because you're not sharing mm-hmm. this, this constant battle with people until you've already hit a really big wall. Mm. So basically you're developing this whole story in your mind and no one's reading your story. And the more it's in your mind, the quicker it develops to a, a monster. And it yeah. just takes over who you are until you hit rock bottom. And then you're like, okay, I need help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, and those are the people who are lucky, the people who reach out. Right. Because there are plenty of people who, who don't reach out. So what made you, what makes you think that like what made you prevent all these suicidal thoughts from actually doing something and taking action? 
Well, like we're lucky to have <laughs> you around if you're saying that it's constant. Yeah. Well, the, the first thing that happened was uh, I, I did write a I did write a suicide note and I made a plan um, in the fourth grade. In fourth grade? Yeah. And uh, I was going to hang myself because it was the only thing I knew how to do. Um, it was the only thing that made sense. And I thought it would probably hurt the least. And so I wrote a note and I put it in a library book. And I thought, you know, it, it'll day, take a while. Yeah, someone will someone find will this find someday and they'll understand. Day. Yeah. The problem was uh, someone found it uh, the same day because, you know, there's a there's a folded piece of paper in a book The whoever was checking it in the librarian or somebody. And so that was. Oh, you uh, didn't think the process through. Yeah, I didn't, didn't think it think through. Because you're a fourth grader, you <laughs> yeah, didn't think, oh, exactly. the librarian is going to open it and she's going to yeah. see that there's something stuck. And before she puts right. it on the shelf, she's going to actually look to see what's folded inside and make sure that the book is okay going back. Yeah. And she found the paper that day. She found the paper that day. Wow. And, uh, and I wasn't even going to do it at my house. Um, I was going to do it at somebody else's house because they had one of those large steel uh, laundry poles in their backyard. Mm. And, I, and it was tall enough because, again, I'm a fourth grader. I was short. It was tall enough for me mm. to be able to do it. And, uh, and I just thought this all makes sense. And so I was actually, God, and I feel so bad. <laughs> like, what made me think I should do this at somebody else's house? Um, uh, what made me think I should do this at all? But right. there I was, um, there I was walking to this kid's house with rope in my backpack <gasps> uh, when uh, my parents found me because I said where I was going to be. And it was my parents and there was a policeman and uh, the principal of the school even. So the librarian saved your life. Yeah. Yeah. But if she would find it the next day, it would be too late. Yeah. <laughs> you were actually or, going. You know, yeah, I was going. I was it was it was on the books. Um <gasps> and, and yeah. And, and so that so I started Do you remember if you were No, I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified, but uh, you know the the analogy that I give people is um you know there it, it it's not like it, it's not a perfect scenario. Um it's it's an unwinnable scenario. And it's like when you see the people on on nine eleven deciding to jump from right. the burning buildings. Right. That's what it feels like. It right. feels like you're out of options, and uh, there's no way to continue. It's like you've got these negative blinders on, and all you can see is what your what your options appear to be to you. But since you don't know any other options, you don't have any other coping mechanisms. You haven't developed any other strategies. It's like you're completely blind to the fact that other people can probably give you some tools. Wow. <laughs> there's, there's a way out of this. So from fourth grade on, it was, it was a discussion in my household about mental health. Okay. I'm processing. I'm really, <laughs> I'm taking a deep breath because I have like a hundred questions at the top of my head. And I need to process one at a time. First sure. of all, I want to go back to that fourth grader pain. What mm -hmm. were you going through day in and day out and nights and mornings and schools, friend, 
that caused so much pain that you wanted to end it. That needs to be yeah. a tremendous amount of pain. Well, and that's the thing. Pain can't really be quantified. Uh, I mean, you know, what's the worst pain that you'll ever have? Yours. Um, so <laughs> I honestly, the, the things that I remember was um, I was, I, I was an ADHD kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was considered for the gifted program in uh, whatever passed for our, our enlightened school in our city at the time, but uh, my math scores were no good mm-hmm. because I told myself the story, well, I'm not good at math. Mm. Um, and I found out later that that's actually not true. Mm. <laughs> I wasn't good at studying. Right, right. <laughs> I w- yeah. And so uh, it was, uh, I was smart, but um, unfocused right. and undisciplined. And both my parents worked and they were busy and I didn't have a tight relationship with my siblings. In mm-hmm. fact, I usually hid from them because, wow. uh, you know, there was, I, I say they beat me up, but I mean, it, was, it wasn't like, you know, pounding bloody or anything. But right, there like were... uh, the sibling rivalry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah, but I feared them and I didn't really have any friends because I was, I was an awkward kid. Did they call you awkward? Yeah, yeah. But, but more than that, the, the people who the people who actually even noticed me at all would say, mm-hmm. you know, that guy's weird. Mm-hmm. But most kids at school at that time were not mean. Um, in fact, I, I felt like I was pretty much invisible. Like nobody paid attention to me at all. When they did, they were like, that guy's kind of weird. What made them think you're weird? Were you a uh, <laughs> Yeah, I was even in fourth grade. But, um, you know, I had things that, that I really liked and I would obsess over them. For example? And, well, for example, uh, when, uh, when other kids were, you know, watching cartoons and, and learning how to play sports and stuff like that, uh, I was really deeply obsessed with like Johnny Carson in The Tonight Show and mm-hmm. uh, old black and white uh, footage of stand-up comedians right. and stuff like that. I was really into just stuff that was so uncool right. <laughs> and and it really excited me and i couldn't relate to anybody about any of those other things like i i to this day i still don't think i've seen a football game wow <laughs> it seems like you're a very old just never soul. came up <laughs> did you ever think if you're an old soul yeah i've had people say that i i've, just, I've got i've got an old energy to, yeah yeah like a deep old energy that skipped over childhood and just childhood is not interesting to you it wasn't yeah i mean don't get me wrong i had toys and stuff but right right but it was like not something that excited you or Mm -mm. was interesting to you and that's what what the kids saw you as weird because you're not playing in the in the playground with them and throwing the ball and and what they're used to which is, is so sad and such a um, um, something to learn to yeah. that, to respect that just because we are used to this is what you do in your tens and your twenties and your thirties and your forties, it doesn't mean everybody yeah. needs to be. There's no <laughs> weird. There's no. There's no. Oh, he's he's different. No, we are all different and we're all unique and we all have specific things that make us and respect that. Yeah, yeah. The the thing that's interesting about that to me is that. Uh, my pendulum really swung the other way. 
when I became around around uh, thirteen, mm-hmm. um, because that was when I discovered that there was a place that I fit in, and it was with people who felt like they didn't fit in. Mm. <laughs> and so when I dis- when when I discovered skateboarding, mm-hmm. uh, it changed my life mm-hmm. because it was athletic. Mm-hmm. I could do it by myself. Right. Uh, there was a lot of expression involved in it. It seemed artistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I had this very romantic vision of what it would be like to be a skateboarder. Mm-hmm. And so I got a skateboard and I started skateboarding. And the thing about skateboarding that I loved was that it was all kinds of people. Um, there were punk rockers, there were metalheads, there were uh, preppy kids in polo shirts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, there were a handful of girls. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more now, which is great. Um, but uh, it was it was like, oh, they'll just they'll let anybody do this. <laughs> and we can all hang out together mm-hmm. and we can make fun of each other for being different while at the same time all knowing that we're in this together. Nice. Nice. So, so then, that was like your yeah, outlet. That was it. It was everything. It it shaped so much of my uh <laughs> my my personal politics, the way I viewed the world, uh you know, my view that uh you know, it, you can't really judge people until you know them. Mm-hmm. Um that we can have differences and diversity makes us stronger. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of that was, all of that was great. It was mind blowing, but I also <laughs> discovered uh, punk rock at that time mm. and that blew the doors wide open. And mm. I started playing the drums and I joined a band. Oh, wow. And that was your therapy. Yeah, it was my therapy. And I found I had major social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, like I couldn't go anywhere, um, without other people. I was afraid to go anywhere alone. Uh, and as a teenager, I discovered that I wanted to go to like music concerts and stuff, but the idea of that many people terrified me. But if I was on stage, that was all right. And then yeah. I discovered theater wow. and I started acting Are and you an I actor? also, yeah, yeah, a little, I don't do it so much anymore, mm-hmm. but, uh, I, I discovered that I could do stage plays like I, I could act on stage, but I, I, I couldn't like I could never sit in a room and watch a play because there's too many people. Uh-huh. There's so like much. I, I couldn't go to the movies. Oh, but going so, to the movies was terrifying. And I loved movies. Is uh, it agoraphobia? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's tough. Um, I, I never really got it diagnosed as anything. Right. Uh, I went to my first concert when I was 32. Wow. My first concert I wasn't playing at. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, But I bought tickets. Right. And and said I'm going to a concert. And the first time I ever went was in my 30s. It was crazy. Is it anxiety from big crowds around you being claustrophobic? Is it what are people going to say about me? Are they going to think I'm weird? Is it something OCD? I kind of always... uh, kind of always being on my guard for always being ready for violence, Mm. (laughs) just feeling like it could come out of anywhere. Right. Were you Um, bullied a lot in school? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, along with finding my place as the skateboard kid, uh, Mm -hmm. 
that didn't that didn't go over well with wow. a lot of my peers. <laughs> wow, that's so sad. Did you stay in school until you graduated high school? Yeah, uh, but as a matter of fact, um, I kind of stumbled through school. I had a lot of different experiences. Um, my my parents saw that I was struggling mm-hmm. um, in the public school system, and I, I actually I actually got bullied by a couple of teachers, which was mm-hmm. weird. And so they they saved up their money to put me in a private school wow. um, because they thought that would be better. But the mm-hmm. strange thing about that was that that was so much worse really yeah (laughs) because i was the poor kid um and this was the 80s too so for some reason that was very acceptable (laughs) wow uh to to bully somebody because they were poor wow um and so i remember that and i remember the the names of my bullies i mean that was that was some of the worst times in my life because it was it it was uh it, it was at this lutheran school Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time I was very religious and, and to have this negative experience in, in such a holy place was like the biggest dichotomy of all. When you say you were religious, you went to a religious school, a religious private school. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Where, where was, did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Saginaw, Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, okay. which is it, kind of a strange place. Um, you know, uh, it was a very segregated place in a lot of ways. Um, you know, everybody just kind of kept to themselves. Right. There wasn't a lot of mingling of of people that were different in any way, in right. any way, shape, or form. It was mm-hmm. like, if you belong to this group, then you go over there. Mm. It was kind of a strange way to grow up. Wow. Very weird. <laughs> so did you stay in, in private school until the, until the end of school? Uh, no, actually, uh, the, the private school worked out to be pretty tough for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so then I went back to public school mm-hmm. and I failed my senior year, mm-hmm. uh, because I had no interest in school. I was going to be a rock star. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was okay. going to play drums. Mm-hmm. And then when I failed my senior year and my mom was like, you know, we've been trying this for this long, just, just get your GED and be done with it. That kind of killed me a little bit. So I said, no, I want to I want to give it one more shot. Wow. And so I went back and I graduated. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That was that was tough. But I didn't even I never even looked at that as, you know, determination. I never knew the wells of determination that I had within me until way later. Right. But tell me about your parents a little bit, because they sound like they're really supportive and caring. Yeah. Yeah, my parents are pretty great. Um, I still talk to them to this day. We have our we have our issues here and there, as mm-hmm. everybody does. Right. But my dad was he always seemed like a pretty good example to me. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he was a musician, so there were instruments kind of always in the house. Okay. What's weird is I I never really saw him play that much. Mm. Um, but you know, I mean, that was that was his whole life for a long time. So where did he uh, practice if you didn't see it? <laughs> I don't know. I, I it's it's weird thinking back on it. He must have gone to rehearsals, you know, at somebody else's place or something. Mm-hmm. But he didn't play a lot at home. He'd play drums once in a while. Right. And once in a while his band would play a, you know, a county fair or something and we'd go see him. Right. But it was pretty rare. He had a guitar. I never heard him play it. Mm. Uh, which is kind of strange. I just Very found out last strange. year 
that he wrote songs. Wow. I never knew he wrote songs. And so I was able to help him record. Uh, I was able to help him record two singles. Wow. In, in my home studio uh, when he was here. Songs that he wrote in the 60s. And I said, wow. no, 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 let's do it. Let's record the drums so and everything. Nice. And nice. It was the coolest thing ever. That's so, so nice. But uh, growing up, he was very quiet. Um, mm -hmm. And he wouldn't say anything unless he felt like it was going to add to the conversation. Wow. So never. Introvert. Yeah, totally. Completely. Was he? Mom yeah. was very, uh, not to cut you off. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, go, go on. Yeah, mom. <laughs> uh, my mom was kind of the head of the house, mm -hmm. um, keeping everything on the rails. Um, and she was very stressed out. And she was really, really angry all the time. It wasn't until all the kids moved out that like her face stopped being a constant scowl. Really? Um, and we all developed, all of us developed a great relationship with our parents mm -hmm. um, later. But during, I remember how hard it was. Right. It was, it was really, really hard it, because it felt like at any minute the house was going to explode. And when you say going to explode, what happened? Yelling, screaming, uh, yelling, screaming, uh, hitting. Uh, yeah, it was, it was hard. It was really hard. Like it, it, quiet was the thing that was appreciated more than anything in our house. Maybe she has a lot of anxiety and stuff yeah. going on in her own and she couldn't take the noise. Maybe four kids was a lot for her. It was a lot. And, and your father was, was an alcoholic in the beginning, yeah. which was probably not easy to deal with as well. Well, and it was tumultuous because uh, my parents were both divorced before they married each other. Mm. And so my father brought uh, a daughter into the mix and my mom brought a son and a daughter into the mix and then they had me. Oh, so your siblings are not full siblings. Right. Yeah. Uh, so no wonder you probably... didn't like them so much. <laughs> yeah. They, and no wonder they didn't like me. Who's oh this? My... Who's this? Oh, a Brady Bunch kid? big time. Yeah, completely. Oh, that's hard. That is hard. But to my mother's credit, um, my uh, my one sister uh, from my dad's side, she was living with her mother. Mm -hmm. um, she didn't live with my dad. Uh, my dad would get visitation, et cetera, you know, like divorced dads do. Mm -hmm. And uh, her mother was clinically diagnosed uh, schizophrenic mm -hmm. and maybe even bipolar. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a lot going on there. And it was not a good household for my sister. And my mom made a plan that they were going to get my sister out of there. And my mom went over to this woman's house to have an afternoon coffee and basically kind of told her, you know, with everything being so hard for you, work being so hard, these things being so hard, we can take, uh, we can take the kid and it'll take this burden off of you. In the end, she was like, oh, thank you so much. You know what? I never thought about it that way. Yeah, that really would relieve a burden. Wow. Yeah. And they rescued her from a really rough situation. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, How my mom had all sister? of these things. Oh, my sister was, she was probably five or six. At young. The time. So yeah, young. Yeah, really young. So young. Wow. So your mother really had a lot going on. 
second yeah. marriage, mm-hmm. other children, her own children, an alcoholic husband, yeah. an introverted husband, which can be also very difficult, right? Yes. Very, very difficult. You don't know what's going on. Yeah. And then a kid that attempted uh, suicide. Yep. And and just the thought of that, just like think about it for a second. Like you, you feel also a bit of a failure that your child oh, yeah. feels so so not safe in this world that they... And also as a parent, how did we not know that this is happening? How right. bad of a parent are we that our fourth <laughs> grader is suffering so much that we didn't even know about it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, and I don't envy them any of that. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's a lot to process. It really is. Yeah. And she probably never went to therapy for all this, right? No, of course not. Did Nobody you go went to, to th- therapy. <laughs> Did you go to therapy after the attempt at fourth um, grade? No, they, they said that, uh, at the time it was, it was a little different. Um, it was basically that time was treated as, uh, you you know, that thing, um, because you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. That thing where sometimes you see your kid make a mistake Mm -hmm. and out of fear, you, you, your reaction is stop that, Mm. knock it off. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. That's what it was. It was stop that. Just don't don't do that anymore. <laughs> I was just talking to one of my listeners um, a while ago, and they were saying that their. I asked if their parents were supportive, and their answer was, "My parents say, grow up, yeah, <laughs> grow up." Instead of understanding what she's going through, get a life, grow up. Yeah, And I was trying to explain that it's out of fear of not knowing how to help, not out of being mean. Completely. And, and, and we all do it at times in our lives that we just like, first of all, when we don't know what the other person is going through, we, that we don't come up with the good solutions or empathy or sympathy. But when our kid is really suffering, it is so scary to go into that dark place with them. We rather just hope that knocking it off and growing up is an option. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's not the best reaction, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, right. it's, and I understand it though. Right. I completely understand it. I'm a parent now. Okay. Um, so I completely get it. It's, so what it's, happened? it's so much easier to just go, you know, just knock it off. <laughs> so what happened the next time you were thinking suicide? Did you come and tell them like uh, how no. often was it? No, it was, well, it was on a pretty regular basis. It was one of those things that uh, my brain would deliver that to me on a daily basis, um, in some way or another. So how did you survive so long? I don't know. It was, it was really just a matter of recognizing that as part of my life. Part of my life is I'm going to have these thoughts that come into my head. Now it's time to go to school. So you didn't really attempt it again. You well, never thought of, of, of a yeah, plan. I did. I did. did. Um, in fact, I, I, I went into psychiatric care a couple of times. Um, uh, I was hospitalized once. Um, I, I had a couple of friends save my life uh, in the middle of an attempt a couple of times, actually. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually attempted seriously uh, probably three or four more times and was lucky enough to get sidelined in one way or another, mm-hmm. you know, before they took off on me. But the final time I was in psychiatric care, um, where, you know, I was in a hospital for a few weeks. How um, old were you? 16. Oh, okay. Um, 
so that was my second time in. And I remember the look on my dad's face because um, he was a counselor at this point. So oh, he, he kind of had a level already. of, un- yeah, right. he kind of had a level of understanding mm-hmm. um, uh, because he had been doing, he had been going to college, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, for psychology and, and things. Right. so he was, he was starting to get it. Uh, but the fact that he couldn't do anything about it and he was just so powerless, it was, right. it was the most painful thing to see because it was like, it's not your fault. I got something in me that's wrong and I don't know how to fix it. Right. And I tried medications and I went through a cocktail of some pretty heavy medications because mm-hmm. I was diagnosed bipolar. Uh, was that it, correct diagnosis? Yeah. Yeah. It was. Okay. It, that okay. turned out to be right. Okay. Um, and uh, I realized while I was in uh, the hospital that the pills and the therapy were not what was supposed to fix me. I was supposed to fix me mm. and the pills and the therapy were supposed to help me be able to do it. Yes. But nobody told me that. Yes. I you had that to figure so, it out. Can you repeat that? Because yeah. that is something that I so try to say over and over and over. And I think if people understand that when they're going through the struggle, they would understand the relationship between the work the support, the therapy, the medication, because it's not one thing that fixes it. So say yeah. that again. Well, it, it's it's not uh, the medication or the therapy's job to fix you. It's it's only there as a tool for you to be able to fix yourself. So beautiful. It's so and true. I, I didn't realize that. And then once I started putting those pieces together, I kind of thought I had nailed it and I was done. Mm, (laughs) and it's only when uh you realize that you know the coping mechanisms and the tools that you put in place those are all really great Mm -hmm. what about when the next new thing comes up Mm -hmm. you're never really done being a better person you can always improve right uh so yeah, it was it was kind of a <laughs> kind of a strange road. I, I discovered uh, I discovered that I was still suicidal uh, in my twenties, mm-hmm. and I wasn't going to do anything about it. Uh, I had just gotten married. I have I a just qu- had wait, a kid. wait. Can I pause you for a second? Yes. Sorry, before you go into the marriage, did yeah. the medication really help you stop having constant daily suicidal <sighs> thoughts? Uh. No, actually, I was on the wrong medication Mm -hmm. and it made them worse. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I was on Prozac for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, Prozac made things worse. Right. And then I was on Depakote, lithium Mm -hmm. uh, and something else. (laughs) Uh, It was all at the same time. I was on uh, three things at once. Yeah, it was it was a lot. Depakote because I wasn't sleeping. Mm-hmm. at all. Um, mm-hmm. I would be awake for days wow. at a time. Lithium was supposed to combat the bipolar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think in some ways it did, but it definitely made me sort of strange. Uh, but I have big swaths of time that I felt like I was in a fog and I don't remember. Yeah. That's what medication can do. If you're not on the right cocktail and the right dose, it could put you into a oh, fog. Totally. It just numbs you. It numbs everything. And Special with bipolar, like they want to numb the manic. 
yeah. so they numb everything else and then they don't have themselves there's there's yeah. no me because there's yeah. just a low low level of me that's showing up in order for you not to be manic so yeah. they take away your your basically your your livelihood your everything because they're afraid you mentioned that once you you realized that they were like in your 20s, you realized you were still suicidal. So where, where was there a period that you thought that you were not? Um, well, there really wasn't. Well, uh, okay, there was. Uh, the, it, it, so probably somewhere from, let's say, <laughs> you know, now that I'm doing the math on this, let's say somewhere from like, uh, s- somewhere from like 18 to uh, 22. Mm. That period of time and so much happened in that so period of time. We don't even, we can't even get into it. Right. right. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, let's jump ahead right. just a little. Yeah. So it was around, around uh, 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on medication. I'm seeing a therapist uh, for the first time since I was a kid. And uh, I have been taking medication for uh, about a year at this mm-hmm. point. And I think to myself... If ever I was on a desert island, stranded, and I had no medication and no therapist, would my own brain be the thing that kills me? And I was so terrified of this idea that that I didn't work without these tools, mm. that I started doing a ton of research on coping mechanisms, how things work. Um, my first thought was that I could solve my bipolar like a rubik's cube wow. that i could that i twist all of the things into the right places and then boom it'd be gone wow uh and that's not true oh okay <laughs> I, I kind of got uh, excited that was my first thought <laughs> uh that was my first thought but what i did discover because i through um talking to my psychiatrist and my psychologist i was seeing both at the time i stopped taking the medication under supervision and i uh, eventually got to a point with my therapist where it was like, yeah, we don't, we don't need each other anymore. So mm. I'm going to go off into the world. So this was about a year process. I went uh, weaning myself off medication and mm. trying to learn how to live with these things. And rather than try to eradicate all of my symptoms, I wanted to learn what they were and I wanted to understand them so that when they came on, I could deal with it. And so for about 15 years, no meds, no therapist. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that was from that one thought, if you were stranded in a desert island without yeah. meds or therapist. Yeah. Can I, can I go back to that question? I, yeah. I, I talk about this a lot about the fe- that I was always afraid when I was depressed that I will do something to end my pain, which might be suicide. Yeah. But not because I want suicide, just because I wouldn't know if my brain would tell me, jump, uh, yeah. do something dangerous because I wasn't in control of my brain. My brain was controlled over me and my emotions. So when you say, would my brain kill me? What does that mean? Are you talking they would, that your brain would tell you to attempt suicide? or Yeah, are, yeah. that my brain oh. would give me faulty information. Faulty information. Would you would me, these act, are the options. And you would yeah. act upon them versus right. stopping them. Not that your brain would shut down and you would stop eating or you would... Right, no, completely. Yeah. It, yeah, was, yeah. it was the idea, that, uh, the idea would, that my brain would deliver me the idea that, uh, uh, you know what, none of this is going to work out. You're on a desert island. Um, 
you should take yourself out. And that I would feel like, yeah, you're right. I'm in a burning building. And rather than burn to death, I'd rather jump. Wow. Wow. So you're, you're a constant work in process. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think is the biggest jump that took you to be able to survive without meds? The biggest one was coming to terms, like coming to real honest to goodness terms with owning everything about my mental illness, completely owning it. It's mine. Uh, it's been curated specially by me. Mm -hmm. uh, I brewed it. I wired it. I tended that garden and I can choose to try and change it. I can make some changes. And it was really owning those behaviors and owning those thought processes and really not accepting the idea that I needed something from the outside world to make it all better, that I could really go in there and learn to love myself, learn to forgive myself when I would make a mistake mm. and, and keep going. And that was really the thing. Just keep going. One cup of coffee at a time. One cup of coffee at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so, but what do you do with the dark moments, with that sadness? The, that's, that's the toughest part, um, you know, because even, even now there are times when, uh, you know, it doesn't go away. Right. It just changes. Right. Um, it's a thing about myself that I know that my brain is one of those brains that delivers suicidal thoughts. And so like I'll be standing on a train platform and I'll and I'll think, I wonder what that would feel like if I just jumped in front of the train, you know, and and it's like, yeah, but, you know, I'm going to wait. <laughs> um, but but there's it, no severe, <clears throat> severe darkness. Do you have those severe darkness? Is it more curiosity yeah. or is it a some pain? of the well, I mean, it. It, it stems from it stems from pain, and then it mm -hmm. just became a part of the wiring. And so sometimes it's harder than others. Um, sometimes there's genuine darkness, but it feels different now um, because, because... I, I am bipolar, mm -hmm. and uh, so I do have the high highs and the low lows. I got the roller coaster, um, and the high highs are great. Right. <laughs> but uh, you've got to learn how to manage those too, because you can make some really bad decisions on a high right. high. When you're so manic. you have to, yeah, you have to know that you're manic. And so who, who trains you how to do that? You have to learn it for yourself Is, because you go no one's going to know you better than you. But no, someone no, has I to didn't. help you. Yeah. I, you did it on <laughs> uh, your own? I, I did the majority of it on my own. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I may not have even done it from the best place. I'm not sure if this was the right approach, but the thing was, I, I don't know how to say it other than I examined every feeling as it came in and I tested it against a system check of reality. But you're taking a chance that, first of all, before I say they're taking a chance, is it, yeah. is it common that bipolar live without medication? Is that something no, heard of? No, that's not, that's not very common. And you don't advise this to everybody that if any listeners no, are bipolar. Yeah, I don't. I don't advise this. Uh, I don't advise doing this. I, I mean, I did a little bit of, I did the beginning of this journey with a therapist. Right. Um, and they gave you tools. And they gave me some tools. Yeah. And I would highly recommend seeing a therapist. Right. Uh, medication if you need it. But I would, I would recommend everybody, whether you have any kind of mental illness or not, see a therapist. It's great. Right. <laughs> but, but how do you trust yourself? To be so strong to say, I don't need medication. I don't need 
a treatment center. I don't need guidance. I could do this on my own. When you really don't know if it's your brain tricking you or not, like that's yeah. such a risk. To but take. see, you you say, how do you trust yourself? And right. I say the way that you do that is you don't trust yourself. So what do you do? You take chances? No, on your life. You, no, what you what what you do is you second guess everything as it comes in. You keep yourself hyper vigilant, um, which means. Which means anytime I was experiencing any kind of emotion, good or bad, I would run a system check on it. It was, is this emotion valid? Is it coming from wiring or is it coming from conditioning or is it coming from the situation? Right. How likely is this to be real? And, and it would basically be, you know, a lot of times, um, a lot of times it was, you know, it was just like the, the darkness would come in and... I would say, oh, I know what this is. This is this is that darkness. And this darkness will go away. And so until it does, what are some good things that I can do to pass the time while I wait? So you always knew that the good time is going to come after. You always had a good time. Yeah, I always the there was there was always a positive waiting. And sometimes the positive you know, the positives and the negatives were unpredictable. And that was just something that I was willing to live with. Uh, the The negatives could last 15 minutes to a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it was just like that. The, having a dark couple of weeks, here we go. Put the coffee on and let's go to work. I mean, what else do you do? I, I wrote. Uh, I put a lot of things into writing. Um, uh, I got physical. I started, you know, uh, doing things that were good for me, lifting weights, uh, Mm -hmm. reading books. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if the darkness was there, I had a handful of things that I knew these things are positive and they are good for me. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm feeling down, I have to do one of these things because this is, this is my way of passing the time while I wait for this cloud to come out of my head. Mm. Why don't you become a therapist? Did you think (laughs) about it or like, yeah, I have thought about it. How old are you? Uh, I'm 42. No, 43. Oh, geez. How time we're the flies. Same age. <laughs> we're the same age. Yeah. <laughs> but but you seem like you you have so much strength, inner strength. And what I think you have that lots of us that deal with mental health issues don't have is your, your belief in yourself. Which is strange because... Which is usually something that we struggle yeah. <laughs> with so much. And you're like, no, I could do this on my own. Usually yeah. we're like, no, help me. Where, where is my life jacket? Like, who's going to be my next <laughs> life jacket? Who's going to help me out of this darkness? But you really, you really mastered it so beautifully. Well, and I appreciate that. Um, but it, it, it definitely came from a place of, it, it came from something negative and became something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I now do have a lot of belief in and understanding in where my strengths are. And what's good about what I can do and, and, you know, what, what makes me valuable as a human being? Um, you know, I, I have a a pretty good grasp on those things at this point. And you got to it on your own. I did, but it ultimately came from a very deep feeling of isolation and uh, a mistrust of other people Mm -hmm. and just feeling like, you know, if I can't handle this on my own, I'm going to die. And but you loved life in a way, so you didn't want yeah, to die. I didn't want to die. It was it was one of those strange things where it's like I didn't want to die. I just didn't think I had any other options. Exactly, 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> people people don't understand that, that it's not like um, recklessness. Oh, I'm going to kill myself. No, yeah. it's not. It's from that being lost and saying, okay, as you said, is it is it coffee or death? Which one should it be? Yeah. Not because we want death. We want life more than anything, but we want yeah. life without the struggles, without the pain. Yes. Like, and and with, 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 with being accepted and being normal, quote unquote, which I don't believe yeah, anybody's normal. No one's normal. <laughs> but with, with people that go on the day without their struggles that we struggle with, just to get through a day, just to get out of bed, just to take a yeah. shower, just to change our clothes can be so hard and a struggle. I was telling somebody this morning, I asked somebody that uh, I'm friending with, we, didn't, we, we speak every now and then, like a few times a year. And I said, how's, how's it going? How's your job? And they said, I'm, I'm not so inspired. Um, I'm feeling down on myself. I said, you shouldn't. You should feel high on yourself that you got out of bed and you went to a job that you're not inspired to go yeah. to. That's yeah. like like when we get out of bed, when we're when we're depleted, it's very easy to get out of bed when we have momentum and excitement and something to look forward to. But how hard is it to get out of bed and take a shower when we're depleted and we're fighting all these negative thoughts? Yes, we, completely. We deserve the the winning award of getting out of bed, even if it was slow <laughs> and even if it was sluggish and even if it was late and if, in, if we went back for a nap, we yeah. deserve oh, the yes, award. Oh, yes, completely. Yeah, I, and I find that that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Uh, like, like, for example, I am a runner. I mm -hmm. run. Um, it's one of the things I know is good for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I say I'm a runner, it conjures a, a certain thought process. You know, when people picture a runner in their head, they have a thought of what a runner is, what right. a runner looks like when right. they're running, right. you know, all of that. I'm not any of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I am plodding and ungraceful and, <laughs> uh, you know, not breathing correctly. And I'm not even really that good at it. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the same time, getting those benefits of, you know, the serotonin and right. the dopamine spike, right. my brain doesn't know that I'm bad at running. Right. It just knows that I'm running. Right. <laughs> so, but it's amazing that you yeah. get out there to run when you feel depleted and you know, okay, yeah. fine, this is what's going to get me started. So let me get out yeah. there. It's hard. That's a hard so place hard. to start too, because so hard. I love having gone on a run. I hate getting ready to go run. Oh, yes. The five I, minutes I in is easy. <laughs> right. The five minutes yeah. in is easy. It's the five minutes or 10 minutes before. Yeah. I, I heard a, 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 a woman say to me once um, that uh, there is no run that starts off feeling great. Hmm. And I thought, yeah, you're exactly, exactly. right. That's, exactly. that's a good metaphor for life. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly right. That is yeah. exactly right. Chris, but that's, that's exactly that, that, it. It's yeah. not always fun. It's not yeah. always easy. But if you keep yourself moving, um, you'll find that you're capable of a lot more than you think, especially, right. if you, especially if you just do what's needed to be done that day. And you don't, you're not responsible for being the greatest, being... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a, a Wonder Woman or a Superman. Right. You're not responsible for any of that. None of that matters. Right. All you have to do is know that you did something. You don't even have to say that you did your best that day. Right. You just did you that right. day. You right. can do your best another day. Right. 
but just let there be another day. Yes. You mentioned that you got married when you were 20 something, right? Yeah. Very young, very, very young. That's very courageous for someone that went through so much. Yeah, it was, it was rocky. Um, and we were married for about 10 years before we got divorced. Mm-hmm. Are you married now? I am. Yeah. Oh, remarried you got remarried? Now. Yeah. And does it affect your spouse? It does. It, it, it does affect my spouse. It's, it, she's a scientist. Oh, she is? <laughs> and, yeah. And so she's very logical. Um, okay. So she's like, em- take emotional the stuff. Yeah. Emotional stuff she doesn't quite get. And it's just like two equals three. Just take the meds. (laughs) Yes. But that's that's the thing I tell people sometimes is that, um, you know, there's a there's an overreaction that you hear uh, quite often in society. And the the overreaction that you hear from people is they they want to tell you, um, you know, uh, you're not a burden on other people and uh, your your mental health makes you different but it, it doesn't make you bad. And, and that's true. But at the same time, sometimes you are kind of a burden on other people. Sometimes you are. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, and that's okay. Is that's it? the other side of that conversation. It's okay. It's, is it? It, it? Well, I mean, it is in the sense that you it have to recognize the that other person is willing to take. I guess it's the other person's choice. Yes. Uh, but uh, th- I mean, that doesn't mean that you just, you know, fall into it right. <laughs> completely. You don't just give into it completely, but um, you do have to recognize that that's, that's a part of you. That's a part of what being with you is going to be like if you're in a relationship with you. Um, sometimes it's going to be hard and people should know that they're signing up for that. And sometimes they feel like, yeah, I didn't sign up for this and this is terrible, but your communication has got to be open and y- you've, you've got to be, you've got to be willing to accept that and, and be willing to accept that. Yeah, sometimes this is hard. Um, and so it, it requires you to choose your words uh, and to let your partner know exactly what it is you're going through at that mm. time. Like, yeah, I'm having a rough time right now. Um, and then you can make a decision as a couple right. of how you're going to manage that. Because right. with my wife, she she understands that she doesn't quite, she can't sympathize, but she can empathize, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so she's like, yeah, I, I don't know how to handle that, but uh, you go do what it is you need to do right right now, because it's not really a thing I can help with. Which but if you need something from me. thing to say. Yeah. 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 But that comes through having honest conversations rather than, you know, uh, rather than being a person who doesn't want to appear because that that was the hardest thing for me in in this relationship was being really open and honest and vulnerable and raw and completely vulnerable. That's a hard thing to do with another person, especially when you want that other person to like you more than anybody else. Right, right. (laughs) Just to to say, by the way, check it out. I've got this giant flaw. Right. (laughs) Or that giant pain of living with me and and frustration. And it could be really difficult. And and I think it's so beautiful what you said that she says. Please tell this to her that I think this is such an important message to spouses or relationship people that are going through some, just say, don't, you don't have to fix us because you probably can't. 
Yeah. You probably can't, but say, do what you got to do. And if there's anything I could do that you think I can help, let me know. But I'll step out of the way because I can't heal you. And we're not looking for someone to heal us. Right. It's not your job. You're not qualified. Right. Right. And if (laughs) I wouldn't ask you to fix a broken tooth, I'm not going to ask you to do this. (laughs) And if so many couples knew that, that the that's the beginning of the conversation of you're not going to be able to fix me. I need to fix myself with whatever tools I get to, whichever way, but understand, give me space or give me hugs or support or hold me when I can. But also the person that is struggling has to understand that the other person sometimes needs time out and they can't be that cane all the time. And sometimes they can't hold our pain. Yeah. And and it's not because they don't love us. (laughs) Right. And it's not because they don't love us. And I think that is such a big, big, big point in communication, like you said. And if Yeah, all, it really right, matters. It, re- it really matters to have somebody be willing to listen and, and accept that even if they don't understand what it is you're saying, they can accept that, I mean, this is your truth at the moment. Right. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a lot. Do you go to therapy with her to discuss um, this? No, no. We just... Uh, you know, I, I start, so I started seeing a, I started seeing a therapist for a little while because I hit a, hit a dark patch, you know, like you do. Right. And it was like, all right, let's, uh, let's see what other tools are out there. Right. Let's, let's sharpen our toolbox and let's mm-hmm. see what we got. So I saw a therapist for several months um, and she was great. Uh, but then at the end it was like, okay, yeah, we got this. Yeah, I got this again. Thank you for the for the update. Right. I needed the system software update. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And with with um with therapy, it's like that. People always say, Why why did you go through so many therapists? I said, first of all, different therapists come for different problems in my life. And also sometimes we just need a new perspective on something. Something comes into our life, it's a new perspective, a new mindset. We need a boost. We whatever it is, it's a vitamin boost. But you you just need a fresh mind, and it doesn't have to be a long term every week for years on the couch. It doesn't have to be like that. It could be a few sessions, few months with a therapist. You get over it. They give you the tools, and a good therapist will give you the tools to be able to deal with it on your own for the next time it comes around. Versus coming crying on the couch again. Oh, I feel like this again. <laughs> you know, it's so funny that you say that. When I moved out to Colorado, I had a lot of big changes. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. Um, change is not something that comes to me very easily. Right. right. <laughs> uh, so here I was moving cross country and and I fully expected in my brain. I'm like, well, uh, I'm going to move to Colorado. And if it all goes sideways and I end up homeless, I guess that's what happens. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, of course, was never going to happen. Right. Um, but here we are. And uh, I I had a tough transition at first and I couldn't put my finger on what it was. Mm-hmm. I ended up seeing a therapist for two sessions and a light bulb went off and it was mm-hmm. like, okay, I got this. Thanks. And that was it. Wow. I just needed those two sessions. Exactly. Um, exactly. I went back on a, uh, a, me- a medication a few months ago mm-hmm. uh, and I'm weaning myself off of it now because I don't think I need it anymore. Right but I'm doing it under the care of a doctor. And I will definitely see a therapist again in my lifetime. Right. It's, you know, it's a thing that I I understand. Like, this is something that you've got to do sometimes. You know, if I I break my arm, I'm not going to say, I'm pretty sure I can handle this. Right. You know, why why should I feel bad about going to the doctor? 
I shouldn't. Yes. Nobody should. And if my brain's not making enough of the right chemicals, store-bought's fine. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. Chris, I could talk to you forever, ever, and yeah. ever, and ever, and ever. And I, I, and you know what? I think I want to have a conversations with you off podcast, off the podcasting world, because yeah. I think that we can inspire each other and help others. And you are a remarkable human, remarkable, remarkable <laughs> human. And are you kidding me? You're remarkable. <laughs> really have amazing. Have you heard your show? <laughs> <laughs> really amazing. And it's, it's, I, I'm always grateful for these opportunities to meet fellow humans that are, are crushing it one day at a time through our struggles and, and, and making the world a better place and giving hope and inspiration to others because we really need, we, 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 we really survive from others that are surviving. So when we yeah. see someone like you survive, we're like, okay, I could survive too. I could do this. I could get up another day. I, could, I can walk through the door. I could show up just one more day, as you said, just yeah, one more cup absolutely. of coffee. Just one more cup of coffee. What do you do nowadays besides the podcast? You're a mu musician. Oh yeah, I'm constantly busy. Uh, I'm a musician. I uh, I do the podcast. I'm a musician. Um, I'm still working on some, you know, little uh, film things here and there. Nice. Uh, I am putting my foot back in the water of stand-up comedy. So I've been doing some kind of more long-form. Uh, comedy kind of things lately, uh, spoken word, using my experiences and trying to find the humor in it. Nice. And uh, nice. so that's that's turning into something. Uh, but I, man, I always got something going yeah, on. Yeah, you're creative. You're definitely yeah. creative. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for your time, for your story. You're one cup of coffee at a time, guys. <laughs> it's all about the coffee. <laughs> one cup of coffee at a time. Check out his podcast, Coffee Over Suicide. You're all over the place, right? You're on Stitcher. Yeah, it's everywhere uh, you iTunes, can find a podcast. Right? Yeah. Yep. Spotify, yeah. everywhere. And if anybody has a, a question for you through your journey, are you willing to answer? Can they reach out to you? Absolutely. Where can they find you? You can, uh, you can always send me an email directly, uh, info at coffeeoversuicide.com, uh, or find me on Instagram, Facebook. I'm all over the place. Mm -hmm. You can always find me somewhere and I will always respond. Christopher, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for showing up for us today. I really appreciate it. You inspired me. Now, every time I'm going to take a cup of coffee, I'll be thinking about you. I'll really be thinking <laughs> about you because it's really a choice and how we make it and what we make out of our day, what we put into our day, how we start off our day with warmth. Yeah and um, how we get through it. And then we start another day the next day. The day is going to do what the day is going to do. The question is, what are you going to do? Hmm. Nice. Nice ending. <laughs> very, very nice, profound ending. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. You can find us on hopetorecharge.com or Hope to Recharge Community on Facebook. Join our conversation share your stories, share your inspiration. Together, it's better in mental health. Don't be alone. Don't be afraid to share. Don't be afraid to reach out for help. 
but go to the right help. Find your own cocktail of what works for you in healing. The healing is in you. You have the power. We all have the power. We could do this with support, with love, with self-acceptance. We could do this. Thank you for listening. Bye till next time. I would like to take this opportunity to thank betterhelp.com that is helping our listeners access therapy through an online platform that's easy to access through a phone, computer, tablet. You can choose your therapist and it is super affordable. No matter where you are in the world, if you want a licensed therapist, just go to betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. You will get a 10% off on your first month. Try it out. If you don't like your therapist, there's so many more that you can choose from and it goes by category. It's so awesome. If you want a relationship therapist or do you want an anxiety therapist, you want a depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, anything that you want, there's a category of therapists that specialize in exactly what you need and they really help you find the therapist you need. So go to betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P forward slash hope to recharge. Take advantage of this amazing offer and get the help you need. Thank you for joining us and taking the time to listen. I really appreciate it. Please hit the subscribe button so you can hear further episodes. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please leave feedback and ratings below. Let us know if there's any topic that you would like to hear from us in the future. Bye till next time.